0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to be with you once again. Sunday morning service, right in your homes and your living rooms, wherever you're at, wherever you're listening to this. We're glad to be with you. We know that whenever two or three of us gather together, Jesus is right in the midst. And I believe that he's here with us today to speak to us uh, to deal with our hearts. I have a word that I want to speak to you specifically, a message that I want to speak. And over the past few weeks, we've actually speak, so, spoken right right in order. We've, we've uh, spoken about the crucifixion of Jesus and what he went through. We dealt with his resurrection a couple of weeks ago. And then last week, we dealt with what he was doing uh, during the 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension. And so today specifically, I want to talk to you about the ascension of Jesus Christ and what that means for us as a body of believers. The ascension is something that a lot of people don't even know about. You, when you talk about resurrection, people know that word. They're familiar with it. They're familiar with crucifixion. But when they talk about ascension, we don't, we don't know a lot about it. Now, I remember when I was, when I was younger... Uh, uh, I was I was planning on planting a church in a specific city, and of course, the Lord changed what I was going to do. But I had it planned that I was going to call that church Ascension Church. And one of the reasons I was going to do that is because I was just I, I was enamored with what I had been reading in the Scripture about the fact that Jesus' death was also my death; that I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet Christ lives. In me, So I'm crucified with Christ, but at the same time he has been raised from the dead and I am resurrected with Christ. I've been raised in newness of life and his resurrection is my resurrection. But not only that, his ascension is my ascension because the scripture says that Jesus has been raised and he has been seated at the right hand of the Father and we are seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so when we talk about the ascension, we're talking about something that is essential to what we believe as followers of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, he could have done a lot of different things. I mean, whenever he uh, appeared to his disciples after his 40 days of being with them, he appeared to, uh, to many of his disciples. And at the end, he could have simply vanished and went to heaven and just disappeared. But no, he chose to come before them right in front of them and ascend physically in resurrected form into the heavens. And in so doing, what he was what he was actually doing is he was demonstrating to them that he was going to go through the Heavens, and when we talk about going through the heavens, we're talking about the literal stars and skies that we can see. But in the second heaven, we believe that all principality, powers, and, and the demonic forces that are at work—the powers of darkness—he went through that realm as if to say, "I am now being seated above all power and authority. I know Satan, that you and your demons, you—you you believe that you have some authority on this earth, and I know that you've had a lot of influence up to this point. But I have got back for humanity what you stole from them." and I've come to replace it, and I'm now being seated in a place as a a human being, but also as God who has went and defeated sin, defeated death, defeated hell in the grave, and I'm going to sit back at the right hand of the Father and restore all authority, all power, all dominion back to my people through the church that now believes in me. So the ascension does something for us. It establishes the full work of what Jesus has done on the cross, and it's so important, that we understand what, what that means. So let's, let's get into some scripture. Let's try to unfold some of this. But in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11, after Jesus has spoken to his disciples over the course of 40 days, it says in verse 6 it says, Therefore, when they had come together, this is on the 40th day, after he had been raised from the dead, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, Behold, two men, these are angels, stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven." Now, I believe, like I said before, that the ascension of Jesus is the most neglected aspect of what we believe about Jesus. I mean, we, we make a lot about the birth of Jesus, the incarnation. We celebrate Christmas. It's one of the greatest celebrations. Even people who don't believe in Jesus celebrate Christmas because of his incarnation. We celebrate his crucifixion. We have Good Friday. We celebrate that. We name it. And then we, we celebrate his resurrection and we have Easter. And, and like I said, even the whole world celebrates that in one sense, but the ascension has has been one of the most neglected aspects of what we believe about Jesus. But here's what I want to say is that without the ascension, the effects of the incarnation and the crucifixion and the resurrection have no meaning for you and I. Without the ascension... Those things are not established. Without the ascension, the detonator, so to speak, is not hit. Without the ascension, the Holy Spirit is not activated. And, and, and the, the, the sin that Jesus paid for, the effects of the cross... The the triumph at the cross, what he did in his resurrection, it was not going to be solidified in our hearts and in our lives until he ascended and went back to the Father. And so the ascension essentially is the detonator. It's the button that he pushed to say, all right, everything that I purchased, it's now activated. That's what happened at the ascension. And the disciples were prepared for what was going on because Jesus set them up for that. Now, what are the two primary things that the disciples were doing as, as they go forth into the world after Jesus' ascension. Now the scripture basically gives you two things, and that is worship and witness. The disciples after the ascension of Jesus, they were intentional about worship and they were intentional about witness. The same group of people that had been hiding in fear of the Jews after Jesus had died, now they went forth in power and they went forth worshiping and they went forth witnessing. The scripture says in Luke 24, verse 50 through 53, and he led them out as far as Bethany. Now this is Jesus in his resurrected, glorified body leads them out to a mountain and it says he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. Now uh, just picture this, this scene. And it came to pass While he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And the scripture says, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Now, why do you think it was that they actually went to the temple? They went to the place where people worship God. One of the reasons was because they went to the temple because people were there. And when when a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, there's a lot of things that we could go into to say this is an indicator of being filled with the Spirit or this is an indicator of being filled with the Spirit. But when a person is filled with the Spirit, the greatest indicator according to Scripture is that they cannot quit speaking and declaring the name of Jesus. His name is on their lips. It's in their heart burning. And they have to let other people know about who this Jesus is, what He's done, in the world and what he has done in their lives. That's what happens when somebody is is activated with the power of the Holy Spirit. And they went into the temple and they went to worship and they went to praise. Mark's account says it like this. It says Mark chapter 16, verse 19 through 20. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached. Everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. See, they went out and they preached everywhere. Now, what we got to understand, and I think more, maybe now, hopefully more than ever, we we are beginning to understand that we're not preaching is not just for Sunday morning inside the church house, and preaching is not just for a man who says I've been called to preach. Matter of fact, there's nowhere in Scripture where people are called specifically to preach, because believers are called to declare the Word of God to a lost and dying world. No matter whether you feel like you're called to stand up behind a pulpit or not, God has put His Spirit in you so that you can go go out everywhere and preach the gospel to every living creature. And they go out and they preach everywhere. They're, They're moving out. And even as they're going out and preaching everywhere, they're being persecuted because of what they believe. But no matter what comes against them, no matter what darkness or persecution is coming against them in that, sometimes even they were beaten for the cause of Christ. And it says they would go out with great joy because they were counted worthy to suffer with Jesus Christ. How do you stop somebody that when they're persecuted, they act, their joy actually increases. I'm telling you, we're coming into days and into times when we are going to face some difficult things. But I guarantee you that the greater the darkness we face as Christian people, there is going to be a, re- a greater release of God's Spirit and God's grace to overcome whatever is thrown our way. And don't be afraid of the darkness as a Christian because it is God's invitation to you for you to come into a greater measure of light, a greater measure of God's power, a greater measure of God's Glory because of the darkness that is coming in the world. See, when they first heard that Jesus was going away, they weren't happy at all. Matter of fact, Peter, whenever Jesus told him that he was going to have to go and come before the Pharisees and ultimately be tried and be crucified, Peter said, Far be it from you, Lord. You're not going to die. You're not going to be crucified. We got a kingdom to establish. We've got things to do. You can't be dying and, and, and going to a cross. You cannot be doing that. See, they did not like the idea about Jesus going away when they first heard it because they wanted their own personal Jesus. Now, I've got to be honest with you. I can't hate on them that bad because if I just hung out with a man for three years that whenever, whenever you needed tax money, he says, go catch a fish and there's tax money in the mouth. Or whenever you invite your buddies over and say you invite 5,000 over and all you got is a few and fishes, well, he's going to feed the whole crew. Whenever you get sick, he just comes over and touch you, mommy-in-law and the fever leaves her. I mean, I would want my own personal Jesus walking around with me too. I would be upset whenever I found out that he was going away. But see, Jesus deals with them. He speaks to them, John 16, 7. And this, I believe, this is something that we preach, we believe. But I, I think deep down in our hearts, we don't actually believe it. If I were to give you, if I were to say to somebody, a believer, a Christian and say, hey, would you rather have Jesus here with you physically or would you rather be filled with the Holy Spirit? Ninety nine percent, I believe, of believers would say I'd rather have Jesus right here with me physically. But see, Jesus said in John 16, 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper or the the, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the paraclete, the one that is called alongside to guide you into all truth, to teach you all things, to bring to your remembrance the things that Jesus has said to you, to show you the revelation of God, he will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. He's saying, you know what? There's an advantage here. You don't get it. Now, I don't know about you, but in my life, if I can have an advantage in something... If I'm competing in something, I want an advantage. If 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 I'm going to play in a scramble of a golf tournament, I want a mulligan. I want some kind of advantage to help me out in what is going on. And Jesus is saying, you guys don't get it. If you really knew what was going to go on, if you really knew what was going to happen after I ascended, after I departed, after I applied the blood to the heavenly sanctuary and I'm seated at the right hand of all power, if you really knew what would happen then, fellas, you would actually be saying, Jesus, it's getting a little bit late. Maybe you need to head on out. Maybe you need to go on and get this this thing started a little bit quicker, but you guys don't fully realize what is going to happen whenever I go. He says, when I go away, it's going to be to your advantage because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the power of God to live on the inside of you. And he's saying, no longer will it be Jesus standing beside you or Jesus talking with you, but when the Holy Spirit comes, that Spirit is the Spirit of Christ and now Christ is going to be on the inside of you, animating you, convicting you of sin, leading you and guiding you in the paths of holiness and righteousness, giving you wisdom from within, giving you a boldness to preach the gospel to your loved ones and your friends and your family, and even giving you supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit to bring the kingdom of God to earth in people's midst so that there is a release of God's kingdom that's pointing them to the fact that this world is not all there is, that there's something greater. God comes with His Spirit, not only to live within you, but to come upon you to empower you to live a different life. And I think that's one of the things that we miss as Christians. If we still believe that it would be better off for us, for a physical Jesus to be right here with us, then we have totally missed the true power and reality of the Holy Spirit in dwelling in us and coming upon us to minister to this world. And I think Jesus is trying to wake his church up especially in this hour to say, listen folks, things are wrapping up. They're coming to an end and you need to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. You need to hear the same message that I told my disciples before I departed. In the book of John, he spent two or three chapters dealing with them about the fact that he was leaving and he was preparing them for the coming of the Holy Spirit because he knew that they would not be able to fulfill and accomplish what he called them to do without that power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you right now, you will not be able to accomplish. Be able to overcome sin, you won't be able to bear witness, you won't be able to open your mouth boldly when you need to speak the truth in the face of lies without the Holy Spirit. We are powerless as a church, relegated to fine production and good music and different things like that. No, we need a power in these last days that overcomes the darkness because we have probably not seen the worst that we're going to face. But I'm telling you, when we have the Holy Spirit, we've still got joy. We've still got peace. We're still filled with the love of God. And we have the hope and promise of eternal life that allows us to face anything with this power. See, Jesus is leaving and he is going to fulfill this promise that was, had been throughout Scripture. It had been throughout Scripture the whole time. It had been in the Old Testament. And Jesus, He had laid aside certain aspects of His divinity, with one of them being omnipresence. You know, we, we believe that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He sees all things. But when God became a man in flesh... Jesus limited his omnipresence. He was not everywhere at all times. He was in one location. He was in Galilee with his boys, with his disciples, spending time with them. He was not there and in Manchester, Kentucky at the same time. He was limited in human form. And Jesus is saying, guess what, guys? There's only so much I can do as one man, even though that impact is great. He even says to them in context of talking about his going away in John 14, 14. He says, the works that I do, these same works you will do, and even greater works because I go to my Father. He says, it's because of this that I'm now going to come, and I'm not just going to live in one of you. I'm going to live in every single one that confesses my name that repents of their sin and believes in me as Lord of their lives, I will fill them, I will empower them, and if they will surrender to me, the the Holy Spirit will begin to overtake their lives and consume them like a burning, flaming fire, and I will use them for my glory, and we will see this world transformed. See, this Spirit is not... How He comes in the New Testament is not like how He was in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would just come upon... He did not live inside, but He would come upon men... For certain occasions, he would come upon priests, he would come upon prophets, he would come upon kings. For unique situations, for sometimes a limited amount of time. And even David, whom the Holy Spirit came upon, he cried out in Psalm 51, Lord, do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. But see, we got the promise that as believers, that this Holy Spirit is never going to leave me nor forsake me. He dwells within me and he is going to be with me, leading and guiding me. But see, I've got a relationship with this Holy Spirit. I can grieve Him, I can quench Him, I can put out His fire. I've got to learn to be always being filled with this Holy Spirit and and, and building a relationship with Him so that He can use me most effectively. But see, it's not just a couple of people like it was in the Old Testament. In Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 29... Scripture says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days. What he's saying is it doesn't matter your background. It don't matter if you're black or white. Doesn't matter if you're poor or rich. Doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. Doesn't matter if you're an old man or a young young little boy the holy spirit is available for you and god right now in these days wants to pour out his spirit upon all flesh regardless of who you are it is available to you doesn't matter what you've done the blood of jesus can cleanse you and you can be open to receiving this power of the holy spirit in your life and it can be activated in your life if we only knew the fullness of what Jesus wanted to do when He was ascending back to the Father. He prepared them. He said, I've demonstrated it to you for three years, and now I'm preparing you, and I'm ascending so that I can activate this promise in your life. Now, I want to give you four things that we get to be a part of because Jesus ascended, and four things that we have because Jesus ascended to the Father. The, The first thing, number one, in your notes, is we have representation. We have representation. Now, because Jesus has went to the Father and is seated at the right hand of God the Father, the Scripture says you have an advocate with the Father. Now, it's a wonderful thing to have a representative. It's, another, it's a wonderful thing to have somebody that can go in on your behalf and speak for you and speak on your behalf. And here's the, here's here's the beautiful thing. We don't have to go in the Old Testament, they would often have to go through a prophet, they would have to go through a priest. But see the scripture, there's something that we believe as as New Testament believers is that there is a priesthood of all believers. That you have become a priest. That you don't have to go through any man, you don't have to go through a prophet. You don't have to call up Pastor Clay and get him to pray for you. You have direct access to the throne room of God where you can go any time of any day because Because Jesus Christ himself is your mediator and he is there sitting at the right hand of God the Father on your behalf in order to mediate for you. He sits at the king's right hand and that king's right hand was a place of honor. It was a place of power. How did Jesus get there? The scripture says in Philippians 2 that he humbled himself, that he took upon himself the form of a servant and not only that, but he became obedient even unto the worst death, the death of a cross. And it says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. He has been seated at that right hand of authority. He's been seated at that right hand of power. And he stands beside God. And the Scripture, here's, here's, here's one thing that you need to understand. Jesus is our representative. He is our advocate. That's what the Bible says. That's, that, that's really... A a term that is used for a defense attorney. If I was to be tried in court, if I broke the law, and I was to go to court for breaking the law, I would have a prosecuting attorney in that courtroom coming against me accusing me of all of the things that I have done wrong. Now, Satan is not a man's name. It's not an angel's name. Satan is is a title given to this fallen angel named Lucifer, and the title literally means, in the Hebrew language, the accuser. That's who he is. He is the accuser of the brethren. And I don't know how he does it, but the Bible says that he accuses us before our God day and night. In other words, he comes to God and he speaks it in your ear and he speaks it before God. And he says, listen, this guy does not deserve your blessing." Look at what he's done. Look at how much of a failure he is. Look at the thoughts that are going on inside of his mind. Look at the things that he said last week. Look at the things that he did just a few years ago. Look at what he did today. He's unworthy. He doesn't deserve your blessing. He doesn't deserve to be filled with your spirit. God, you cannot use him. But see, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father as my defense attorney. And when he, when Satan comes to bring those accusations out against me, Jesus will say as the defense attorney, he'll say, you know what, Father, judge of all all that is right and good. Everything that He's saying right now is true. He has done all those things, but you and I both know that I went to the cross. I made a payment for that sin and that would be double jeopardy for you to enforce those accusations against them because I already received the penalty for all of those things within myself. I have applied the blood of the Lamb to this one and He is clear. He is free. He has no guilt. He has been justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. See, we've got to represent and advocate with the Father so that when we begin to get under that guilt, under that shame, we can go right back in to the throne room of God and say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin and be thankful that we have that continual flow of blood that washes us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And even when we hear the devil telling us, you can't do it, you're not worthy, you're not good enough, you can't move forward. You, I, I, God can't use you anymore. God's upset at you. We say, you know what, devil? I know that I got an advocate that the blood has been." been applied to my life. I've got a representative on the right hand of God the Father. And so listen, listen church. You, we don't have any more time for people to say I'm not worthy or I can't do it. Jesus has paid the price. He's called you and I and he says I've washed you. I've prepared you. I want my spirit to live inside of you and if you will set aside your fear and every lie of the devil and say no to that and push back against it and believe in me then I will fill you and I will use you for my glory. And sometimes when we think about these things it's overwhelming, but I know that a lot of people live under the shame. They live under guilt. They live under this unworthy, this unworthy pressure where they can't do anything for God, they feel like. But God's calling you, and you're capable of far more than you believe. But it's not because you're awesome. It's because you've got the Spirit of God living inside of you. It's because Jesus has ascended to the Father. See, God is now not only just, but He is the justifier of, of those who come to Him. And he has all this authority now. And my question would be, why are you walking around listening to the devil. Why are you walking around believing what he says about you, believing what the world says about you, believing what you've said about yourself? You've got to get to a place in this time that you believe only what God says about you and who you are because Satan is throwing out every tactic that he can to get people out of their identity in Christ. See, our ascension, his crucifixion is my crucifixion. I've My old nature has been crucified. His resurrection is my resurrection. I've been raised from the dead and his ascension is my ascension. And I am now seated with Christ in heavenly places. When the Father looks at me, He sees me clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I'm a new creation, and He's made it so that I can be filled with the Spirit of God. You're a son, you're a daughter of God, and Jesus has stepped in front anytime you need. Matter of fact, Hebrews 7.25 says this, "...therefore He is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them." You ever felt, I've even heard people say this, well, you know, the Lord, he's got other stuff to worry about than my old little petty stuff. Let me tell you something. it's, It's like, it's like, it's like somebody that on the internet you know what I'm saying you try to you, you, you don't want to get on because you might break it up. We're trying to live stream Hey don't nobody get on the internet. we're trying to get this thing through like everybody's on the hotline with the Lord and you ain't trying to put your prayers in there because you might clog something up. Let me tell you something Jesus ever lives to make intercession for you. The more prayers that go up, the more he gets excited. That's what he's all about. He's sitting at the right hand of God. He said, listen boys, I have been waiting on your call. I've been waiting on you to pray because I have wanted to take your prayer that you pray in my name. And, and part of what that means is, is I'm going to help you pray according to my will. Not only am I going to give the Spirit of God and put Him inside of you so He can teach you how to pray better, but even if you pray out of wrong motives, I'll receive that prayer. I'll pluck out some of the negative stuff. I'll pluck out some of the wrong motives and I will still give it to my Father and say, Lord, here's their prayers. Let's answer it for them. And He ever lives to make intercession on your behalf, to pray on your behalf. He's waiting right now to hear your prayers so that He can deliver them them to the father and he can answer those prayers through his name. That's what he desires to do. He said ask and receive that your joy may be full. We have a representative. But also secondly because of Jesus' ascension we have the promise of his return. We have the promise of his return. Remember when the angel said, "Hey, this same Jesus that you see go up." He said, "Why why are you guys sitting here standing looking up into the sky like something's going to happen?" He said, "This same Jesus that ascended into the clouds this same way that He ascended, He's going to return. What went up is going to come back down, fellas. Don't worry about that. Don't fret about that. I know you think Jesus has gone away, but He's not gone away forever. He is coming back, and He is going to turn. And one of the things that I love is we know that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. But if you read in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, who was a great, a great man of faith in the early church, He was martyred because of his faith. And man, he proclaimed and preached the gospel boldly. And they were so angry that they came and they began to stone him publicly. And as they stoned him, as they were killing him, he said he saw the heavens opened and Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father. He wasn't seated anymore because I believe that Jesus, whenever whenever one of his saints comes into the glory, whenever one of his saints comes into the kingdom, he stands up to receive them to say, Welcome, enter into the joy of your Lord. He's standing up to bring them into that place. And he sees that. But see, we believe, part of what we believe, when we talk about the Apostles' Creed, we believe that Jesus Christ, that He ascended into heaven, that He was seated at the right hand of God the Father, and that He will come again to judge the living and the dead. In 2 Thessalonians verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 7 through 9, listen to this. It says, The Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven... "...with His mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power." Now those are those are strong verses. When you read those, those are those are things that arrest the heart that bring almost a holy fear into your heart. You know, D.L. Moody said that that no preacher should ever preach about hell without having tears in their eyes. And I got to be honest with you, it brings me no joy talking about the reality of of where people will when when they will have to face judgment and where they will dwell in eternity and, and to talk about heaven and hell. But see, heaven and hell are realities. What we do in this life matters. There is a judgment. And when Jesus comes, he is coming to bring judgment. Jesus's first coming was a mission of mercy. He came to extend His loving arms to every human being on the planet in the world to bring them to a place of repentance. Because see, what you don't understand is that you and I, we rebelled against God. We chose to reject God's ways and we chose to follow the powers of darkness. And if we choose to stay walking with the powers of darkness, God in the end will have no other choice. He cannot override our will. If we reject God and choose Satan and choose the powers of darkness, He has no other choice than to release us to that because He protects our free will. But He says that He will return, and when He returns, He's not coming on another mission of mercy. He is coming on to bring judgment to the earth. He's coming to do that. And see, when He, when he comes, He's going to conquer. The Scripture says in Revelation that He is going to conquer all evil with the sword of His mouth. And see for us, for those who have chosen to believe in Jesus, to let Him pay for their sins, man, the return of Jesus is the most exciting thing in the world. It's not something to be fearful about. It's only fearful if you are choosing to remain in your sins and reject God. That's the only way that this is fearful. There is no fear ahead for the believer. We have no fear. We have a God that is with us who will never leave us nor forsake us and He's over all things. Sometimes the devil looks like he's got power, he's got control, and he does have a lot of influence. The Scripture says that he has this whole world under his sway because they are not listening to the Spirit of God that's calling them. But right now in the world, I believe that the Spirit of God is drawing people. And if you hear his voice today, please respond to that voice. Time is running short. We don't, we're not promised tomorrow. None of us are. And it is important that we respond to the Holy Spirit when he is calling us. See, Jesus is coming and he's going to bring an eternal reign of peace. And the disciples, the apostles, they listen. We live in a day, folks, where there's been perfect. Really, honestly, we have been blessed beyond measure living in America in this generation. We've been so, but we've not seen the early church. They were all persecuted. The majority of them were killed for their faith. They face such persecution. Even in the context of the Scripture that I'm reading you, Paul is trying to encourage them because so many of their brothers and sisters are being killed for what they believe. And he says, listen, don't worry about that. Jesus is coming back. And this should give you hope because when He comes back, He is going to repay. He is going to bring judgment. He's going to set all things right. He is going to abolish evil. He's going to abolish death. And we're not going to see pain. You're not going to see this suffering anymore. See, the disciples long for this, and that's why when even after Jesus had been raised from the dead, he's been with them 40 days, what what do they say to him? He'd been 40 days. He said, all right now, boy, I know what you're about to do now, Jesus. You're about to restore the kingdom to Jerusalem. I know. I know, Lord, you didn't do it. We didn't see the cross coming. We didn't see that coming. You got us. You got us. Because we, th- we thought you were going to set up the kingdom. You were going to overthrow Roman Empire. You were going to set things up. We didn't see the cross coming, but you raised from the dead, man. We appreciate that. We're happy about that. But now you've been 40 days hanging out here in your glorified body. Now you're going to set it up, ain't you? Right? It would have been good. But he says, no, I'm not going to set up the kingdom yet. It's not, it's not for you to know the times that are in the Father's hands. And he responds to them and and, and he he says, yeah, there's going to be something that happens. But see, Jesus is saying there's coming a time, this judgment is coming, there's going to be a separation from the sheep and the goats. There's going to be a separation from the wheat and the tares. And there is a harvest that is coming. And what we have to do, we have to understand who are we standing with right now? Have we dealt with this issue of whether or not we know Jesus? And here's the thing. Probably most of the people I'm preaching to on camera right now, you probably have dealt with the issue. You're probably a Christian. That's why you're listening. But see, here's what we got to know in this last generation is that we are not going to be able to get the gospel to everybody simply in a church building or even through a video because non-Christian people are not coming. Non-Christian people are not receiving this. You are called to go to the non-Christian people. You're called to. The church is designed to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And Jesus is sending you out. But see, even when it comes to the coming of the Lord, it's not something that people like to talk about. I was talking with somebody just the other day about how little the return of Jesus is, talk, is talked about anymore. We're all, all all the time talking about bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. And, that, and that's good. I'm all for that. We should pray, God, your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. But we got to understand that, listen, we are in some weird times, and ultimately Jesus is returning. But see, there's scoffers, and the Bible even talks about mockers. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 through 9, it says this. He says, Knowing this first, that scoffers, or mockers, will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, it's, it's terrible logic to claim that something is not going to happen because it's not happened yet. He's saying, well, where is the promise of his coming? The Lord's not coming back. If he had, he'd already, been, he'd already come back by now. That is the most ridiculous logic ever. It'd be like saying, hey, I'm not going to die, I don't think. And you'd say, well, why, why do you think you're not going to die? Well, because I haven't died yet. That's ridiculous. Let me say you something, Bubby, it's going to come. It's, it's going to come to you. And just because something has not happened yet does not mean that it will not happen. For hundreds and thousands of years, there was prophecy after prophecy of the promise and the coming of the Messiah. And year after year, they said, man, these prophets are foolish. Where's the Messiah? We've been in Babylon. We've been rejected. We've been hurt. We've been persecuted. We've been killed. And year after year, they talk about the Messiah and He's not coming. He's not here yet. And then all of a sudden, one day, the prophecies were fulfilled and Jesus showed up as a baby. And it happened. And the prophecies... We're fulfilled. We call it Christmas. We separate time based on His birth. But do you know that there are eight times as many prophecies for the second coming as there are for the first? There are 1,845 prophecies and 1,845 times that it talks about Jesus and His second coming. Seven out of ten chapters in the New Testament talk about the coming of Jesus and make mention of it. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is going to return. And it's not preached that much anymore. And even in our day, I need you to understand that in our day, Jesus said, because they asked him, they said, Jesus, what's going to be the sign of of your return? What is the sign of the coming of the end of the age? And I don't get into into knowing a whole lot because sometimes people will put out dates. And of course, Jesus said, it's not about knowing the day or the hour. That's not what it's about. It's about being ready. It's about being discerning of what's happening on the earth. And he said, here's the thing, boys, there's going to be wars. There's going to be rumors of wars. Nation's going to rise against nation. He said, but don't get too upset. He said, the end is not not yet. Then he said, There's going to be famines. There's going to be pestilences, just like we are experiencing with COVID 19. And he says, There's going to be earthquakes in various places. He said, But the is not yet. These are the beginning of sorrows. These are birth pains. We're having a lot of babies, so y'all women, you can relate. When those birth pains start hitting, right, you realize, son, this baby's about to come. You feel that. And what he's saying is you can liken COVID-19 and these pestilences to the fact with increasing intensity of these things and famines and earthquakes, with increasing intensity, he's saying get ready because something is going to happen. But do you know what he says? He says, then, then this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to every nation and then the end will come. What is he saying? He's saying yes things are going to get worse. The world's going to seem like it's out of control. There's going to be cataclysmic events but at the same time these things are going on my people who are called by my name are going to repent, get their hearts right with God they're going to be filled with the Spirit of God and they are going to do exploits. They're going to see the miracle working power of God at work and the light and the glory of God is going to shine upon them in the midst of that darkness and that chaos in the world and Their hearts are going to be ready and they're going to be waiting and they're going to be longing for my return. They're going to be ready. Their hearts are going to be prepared. See, it says in the scripture we just read, talking about these scoffers that say, ah, he's coming, that ain't nothing. He gives in scripture, he talks about, honestly, he talks about the flood. And in the days of Noah, Noah was hundreds of years preparing this ark, telling people, y'all better get ready, the flood's coming. Of course, up to that point, there'd never been rain. And then all of a sudden one day the rain began. But he says people are, he said they're willfully ignorant of these things and they even treat it like somehow they're highly intellectual. Like, well, that's foolishness. That flood didn't hit the earth or it was in a localized location or something. They, they get into all this stuff because they're so smart and so intellectual. And it happened to them. But do you realize also that he says this is like, he said a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, a thousand years like a day. He said, "'The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, but He's long-suffering.'" not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. The reason the Lord has not come back yet is because He is trying to give people a grace period to say, please would you hear what I'm saying to you? This world is coming to an end. Would you believe? Would you turn? Would you come to me and let me love you and let me me give you everything that I've wanted to give you from the beginning? He's wanting people to come to repentance so that they would not have to perish. And even in the context of the Old Testament before the flood came it's so interesting. Enoch, he had a son. Enoch, when he was 65 years old, we know he was ascended. He, he took off, man. He, he, went, he went to be with God. But he had a son, and he had a son named Methuselah. And Enoch was given a promise that he said, the, the promise that Enoch was given according to Hebrew history is that Enoch was given the promise that when your son dies, at the end, at, at the end of your son's life, judgment's going to come upon this world. Enoch had a son, and therefore he named him Methuselah. There's two root words in that name, and if you break them down, it literally means his death shall bring. Imagine naming your son, his death shall bring. Hey, his, de- his death shall bring. Come over here, man. I mean, that's a weird name, but he was trying to point out that through his death, through Methuselah's death, That's when judgment would come. The longest living person in human history was Methuselah who lived to be 969 years old. What is God saying? He's saying he allowed Methuselah to live longer. Why? Because he was trying to extend time as long as he could just to get somebody to come back to him. He is merciful beyond your understanding. He is loving beyond your understanding. It does not give God joy to to allow or send anyone to hell. That is not his goal. His goal is to save the world. He does not over ride your free will you have to make a choice and respond to the drawing of the Holy Spirit that's always been the gospel and this is good news for us because you have uh, you have an opportunity today number three we have a responsibility because of Jesus's ascension when he ascends what is so interesting is that they say to Jesus are you going to restore the kingdom now and do you know that Jesus, he says, it's, it's, again, he says, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons that are placed in the authority of the Father. But, now I want you to put this slide up there. They say to Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom now? Jesus' response is, you shall receive power. In other words, he's saying, it ain't about that. It ain't about the kingdom being restored now if I restored the kingdom like you wanted it you would be lost in your sins you would have no choice for a resurrected and a glorified body I've got to go back because what I'm doing I came as a man to restore what you as a man and as a woman lost and now I've restored that authority and now I'm going to give you power to carry out what you were supposed to be doing in the first place you were supposed to be reflecting the glory of God in this world and stewarding this world and now I'm telling you I'm giving you the power so that you can go and preach the gospel to all the world, to every living creature, to your family, to your neighbor, to your friends, to make sure that everybody has heard this word. And Jesus, God, is holding out. He's waiting. Why? Because you've not shared the gospel with your neighbor yet. You've not shared it with your friend yet. You've not, you've not told your children about Jesus and given them an opportunity to hear this gospel. And God is waiting. He's saying, look, I'm trying to pa- pass this baton to you. And I know it's a good thing. I know some of you, you've been praying for your friends, you've been praying for your family, but a lot of times God wants us to be our own answer to our own prayers. He's saying, I'm sending you now as the Father has sent me. We have a responsibility given the understanding that we know that Jesus is coming back soon and knowing that guess what? He has called us to be his ambassadors and he's not left us alone. He said, but I'm giving you the power of the Holy Spirit. And this power is greater than you could ever imagine if you will open your heart To it, let me tell you something. If awakening happens in America, it's not going to happen because our churches are getting cooler. It's not going to happen because because we 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 just we decide that uh, that we we send out everybody a Stephen Furtick video. Like none of these things. I know. Look, it's good for people for you for, for you to do different things like that. But the thing is, is at the end of the day, you've got to realize that you as a Christian person are called to minister the gospel yourself to people. And if awakening happens in America, it's going to happen because people finally realize that really at the end of the day, these buildings and our production and all these things doesn't matter. What matters is that we have a relationship with God That the fire of the Holy Spirit burns in our hearts and we go to the people around us to share the gospel with them. That is when we will have revival, we will have awakening in America. It won't be because our churches get way more awesome. It'll be because men and women get on fire for Jesus and go out and do what Jesus called them to do from the beginning and they quit relying on their pastors and other people to do it for them. You're called. We have a responsibility. Man, I know that's a hard word, but it feels good just coming right out of my mouth this morning, so I pray it sits well with you uh, right there where you're at on your couch. And here's my last thing. Praise the Lord. The last thing because of Jesus' ascension is that we have a reward. We have a reward. When Jesus returns, Revelation twenty-two twelve, He says, "...and behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to His work." His reward is with them. The ascension points us to a reward. And the implication for us is that when Jesus returns, He's coming with a blessing for believers. When I think about Jesus' return, when I read the book of Revelation, it is not fear that floods my heart. It is great joy. It is great expectation. It is longing that floods my heart. Do you know that actually Timothy wrote, or Paul wrote to Timothy and said, Timothy, do you know that there is actually a crown just for the person that is longing for the appearing and the return of Jesus? He says he's, he's going to hand you a crown simply because in your heart you said, Lord, this world is not my home. This is not my desire. I don't care how much money I can get. I don't care how many things I can acquire. I don't care if I'm successful according to the world's standards. I do not want this place to be my home. I'm longing for your return. I'm declaring in my heart, Lord Jesus, come quickly, because when I know when you come, you're going to set things right, you're going to establish your kingdom, and we're going to get to experience life the way that it was supposed to be. All of this is false. All of this is is but a shadow of the way that things could be. When you experience just a minuscule piece of goodness, you're only experiencing a tip of the iceberg in comparison to what God has prepared for you. And we have to live with that sense that, man, Jesus is coming. That's what I'm longing for. I pray that God starts to put that in people's hearts once again. I pray that there would be an awareness once again that people would would begin to say, you know what, Jesus is coming back and we need to be ready. And I'm longing for that return. I'm not afraid of what's going to happen to this world because I've got the Lord. He's over this world. He's already told me things are going to get difficult. He's already told me things were going to get challenging. He's already told me I would likely be persecuted for His namesake, but I'm blessed when that happens because His glory rests upon me. So, I just sensed the Holy Spirit trying to prepare this dull and sleepy church in America that has been lulled to sleep to say, Listen, guys, you're just not ready. You have no idea what could be coming. He prepared his disciples and he's trying to prepare us to say, get your hearts ready. And and you're going to go through some hard things, but guess what? You can go through it with joy. You can be excited. You can be like Stephen that said, man, he was joyful at the end. He saw his king with the heavens open, standing, waiting for him. See, there's a reward. All of us are going to be judged according to our works, according to what we've, been, what we've done. And see, when God finally comes, when we think about heaven, we think about floating in the clouds out there and being transparent spirits and all this stuff. But that's not the end. The end is a resurrected body. We're caught up to meet the Lord. We return with the Lord. He establishes His kingdom here on earth. He renews the face of this earth. You live in a glorified body. We come back to this earth. He restores it. He sets it the way it was supposed to be from the beginning. And we rule and we reign with Him from His throne, with His power, with His authority. But what we do with Him in eternity is based upon what we do now with what He's given us. There's a reward. There's a judgment. What do you do with your life? What will you do with your life? Are you ready? Have you come to that place where you've laid it down and you say, Lord... Some people struggle, man, with their sexuality. You know what? It's not a time to be getting hung up on stuff like that. It's not a time to be getting hung up on little sins that you think are somehow bringing you pleasure. They are nothing in comparison to what you're going to experience. These little sins that you're trying to hang on to, that you care, that that, that you think it defines you. These are things that Jesus is saying. If you'll let me, I'll empower you to lay all that down. These are unimportant. These are these are minuscule things. When you look, do not allow the world to deceive you into hanging on to that thing. He's saying, you got to be ready for this. you got to be ready for my return. And I believe that's what he's asking right now in his love. He's saying, look, I've paid the price. I'm your representative now. I'm coming back. I'm, I'm, I'm going to return. But I've got a reward. And I'm telling you, I believe there's, there's, something, there's something stirring right now. In the Spirit and the Lord is, is using the events and the things that are going on just to, just to awaken people's hearts. And I want to pray for you right there. If you're hearing this and you, and you don't know Jesus, it says for those who don't know God and, obey, and do not obey the gospel, it says that Jesus is coming back and it's not going to be a good thing for them. But for those who hear what I'm saying and they turn to Jesus, it is going to be the more, most glorious thing you've ever experienced. It's as simple as that. So right where you're at, I want you to pray with me. And I want you to take this opportunity to turn your heart to the Lord. Lord, we pray right now. God, we turn our hearts to you. Lord, we confess our sin. Lord, we've rebelled against you. We've walked walked hand in hand with the enemy, God. We have walked with the powers of darkness. We've lived in darkness. But right now, Lord Jesus, we confess our sin to you we receive your forgiveness we thank you for that forgiveness afresh, Lord God we repent of our sins God and we're turning to you and Lord we are looking forward to your coming but Lord we don't want to be lazy while we're waiting on your coming because you said Lord to occupy until you come to occupy until you return so we ask right now Lord that all across the world that your church Lord, even people right now that are just coming to faith in you, that there would be an outpouring of your Spirit like never before, that you would fill us with your Spirit, with your power, with your glory. And Lord, while we wait for your return, let us be found doing the Father's business. Let us be found delivering the gospel to our neighbors, to our loved ones, to our friends, to our family, to anybody that we come into contact with. And God, grant us the power, Lord, to speak with boldness. And Holy Spirit, would you draw the hearts, would you turn hearts to people. As you fill us, as you use us, we believe you for miracles, God. We trust you to do these things in our lives. We submit. We surrender to you, Lord. We ask you right now, I pray, Lord, right now in every living room, every place where people are listening, that your Holy Spirit would just flood their hearts right now in Jesus' name. God, help us. Open our eyes to this reality, to this truth. We are grateful for it. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We love you so much. We're continuing to pray for you. We ask that you would be in prayer, that you would take this word to heart, that you would be asking the Holy Spirit every day, God, I'm I'm open to you. I want you to fill me with your spirit. Call somebody. Share the gospel with them. Invite them to to listen to things. Invite them to to pray with you. Do, do, Do something. Be active and set your heart. Get your heart prepared for the fact that Jesus is coming back and he's coming with a reward. He loves you very much. We love you. God bless you. We'll see you later.